You can be seated and we're going to read from John chapter 5, reading from verse 1. John chapter 5, reading from verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, He asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus to make us well. And we ask you to so speak into our hearts and so breathe into our lives that we would dare to believe that what happened to that man by that pool can happen to us this this morning. We ask your Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts the life that Jesus came to share with us. The life that is the gift of the love of the Father to his children. And we pray for one another that this morning, this day, this Father's Day, we would know in a new way, a deeper way, the love of the Father that is offered to us as we gather together here. So will you take these words, these concepts, these truths and make them real for us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we go any further, there's a skill question. They often have them. Uh, I'd like, what is this? Bring it closer. This is why we spend enormous amounts of money on roving microphone. What is this? There's no trick to this. Carmen, do you want some attention? What is this? Thank you, my dear. What is this? What is this? It's a book, right. It's a book. And this is a pen, right? And, and I mean, let's, what is this? Do you think you could get this one too? It's a bottle of water. That's good. Good. What is that? Phil, it is dangerous. 
If we went probably somewhere in the world, we might find somebody who had never seen one of these. Then you wouldn't know quite so glibly and easily what this is. And you wouldn't smile and laugh and mock me as I asked you what this is. You would be silent and you would scratch your heads and say, I don't know. Right? So what is a father? What is a father? And where do you get your understanding of father from? What we're talking about this morning is really what we've been talking about many times, but it's really, really important. We're talking about two kingdoms. We live in a world that is fallen, distorted, broken, is highly, highly unlike what God created. That is why, if you like intellectualism, you cannot come to a logical, thought-out understanding and understanding of God as love by starting in the world, because the world does not show it clearly enough. You cannot find a God of love merely through intellectual consideration of the world in which we live. You might get glimpses through a few people, but generally you won't get there logically. It doesn't make sense. There's too much suffering, there's too much brokenness, there's too much damage. And that's why you need a revelation, which means God coming in to the garbage dump or the prison camp and saying, Behold, I bring you good news. There is a truth that you cannot get to rationally and you will not get experientially in this prison because it is too dark and too confined and too distorted. And part of that revelation is coming into a prison camp where we are full of greed and full of power and full of distraction and full of broken relationships. And Jesus says, if you want to know Father, look at me. However, the relationship is with your Father or is not with your Father, it is nothing compared to the love of the Father revealed in God. And one of the barriers that keeps us away from a living relationship with God is we can't get through our human experience and our human perception. We think God is like our Father's. Now, with my daughters, they're especially blessed, so they wouldn't have any problem. But for the rest of you, you know, hard luck. (laughs) That's a joke, of course. That's the end of my sermon. I have nothing left to say. So, it's it's incredibly important that we listen to what Jesus says as he says, as you see me, you see the father. Philip uh, was somebody who said to him, Where did he say this? Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples and he said, show me the Father and and Jesus said to Philip, "Um, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. God and the Father and I are one. I do what my dad tells me to do. Not because I'm this control freak or I'm controlled like a puppet. It's just that we have this cool relationship. And I trust him to the point where when he says do it, I do it because I want to do it. There's nothing condemning. He's not cramping my style. He actually, we are friends. We are such a team that we just bless each other. I mean, when I go around and I do healings, I say praise to the Father. 
And when I started my ministry and I was baptized, the father says, this is my boy. I'm pleased in him. I love him. Publicly affirmed. The human spirit, each one of us, we could, I bet you anything you like, if I asked you to each come up here and I interviewed you about fathers and the desires of your heart, there would be tears and Kleenex everywhere. Because deep within the human spirit is the cry for a father-child relationship that never dies, no matter how old you are. And that's, that's there for a reason. It's there because God has created us for a love relationship with the Heavenly Father that will never diminish. And I believe one of the things God's speaking to us this morning is saying, we are so dumbed down that we are the walking dead. And he says it doesn't have to be that way. I've come to bring you life. And our whole lives are about growing into the full image of God the Father as Jesus has shown us. And we've talked about this too and that is that you can be defined by your past and I can write five books on that and where you've come from or what happened and we might say I was abused by my father I don't know my father or my child was awful and, and God says yes, yes, yes but then he says the truth right through that is where are you going to? I mean if I go to uh, Alaska next week I don't pack what I had for Uganda. I prepare for where I'm going to, not where I've been. And the same is true spiritually. We can live with the baggage of where we've been, or we can say, I'm going to a place that has a mansion, and that a father who loves me and delights in me, and who is seeking to make me aware of that now, and that's where I'm heading. I'm going to be defined by where I'm heading, not where I've been. And God knows how difficult it is to get to that mindset, isn't it? Some of us need renewed minds. We all need renewed minds, but it's important. So no matter how good our earthly father is or how bad, God the Father says, that's not the real thing. That is something within the concept of what I was intending but it's not as good as I am and it's not about him boasting it's merely about him saying come to me all you who are weary heavy laden come to me those who are orphans come to me those who are fatherless come to me those who are wounded and I will give you life and I will give you an identity that you cannot get anywhere else I believe one of our problems is that we take these things as Bible studies not intrinsic truths that we need to walk into. You know, what's the key role of a father? The key role of a father is to love, to nurture, to protect, to delight in, to be your greatest fan, to say, I believe in you. And the father, the father can do something that I think is just part of being a father and that is you can see potential in your children that they often don't see in themselves. And you can see things in them that sometimes uh, you can't protect them, but you can see things. You, start, you know uh, what is good for them in a broad perspective. I'm not talking about control. And your heart longs to see them grow into that potential. 
And so the heart of a father and the purpose of a father is to make do everything possible to accompany their child into adulthood and to, into fulfilment of all that they were created to be with blessing after blessing after blessing. Which also means discipline, but means blessing. I believe in you. Speaking words of affirmation. Speaking words of affirmation again and again and again because you're speaking to the spirit of the child. Not to the behavior of the child, to the spirit of the child. Saying you are valuable, you are important, you are deeply loved and you have so much going for you. And I'm here to help you however I can. That is the heart of the father. Now that is an imperfect heart of the loving father that is gone. And the greatest tragedy is that we believe that if we get close to God the Father, He's going to kill us. He's going to cramp our style. He's going to stop us from being so incredibly free. And of course, that's the Prince of Darkness speaking into our ears and we're very, very aware of that. Or we're not very often aware of who it's speaking. But we have all these fears about what it would be like if we gave God, the Father, our hearts and our lives. We're so seduced to believe otherwise. The story of the prodigal son was a son who wanted the inheritance of the father, he wanted the blessing of the father and he wanted to shortchange it. So he insulted his father. He basically went to his father and said, I want your inheritance which in Middle Eastern terms means, Dad, I wish you were dead, I want your money. Oh, we would never do that, we say. We do it to God all the time. Lord, I want the blessings, I want the good stuff, I want health, I want a nice home, I want a good retirement, I want money, I want security, I want every... I want, I want, I want, thanks, go away, talk to you later. We all live the life of the prodigal son with God the Father. And God the Father looks from his threshold of his kingdom for us to come home. And we will all come home one way or another, won't we? There will be a time where we know that God is. And when we come to that place, we're going to come in front of a person who's going to break us. And he's going to break us out of his kindness. It's not a judge. It's looking into the face that we've never seen before which will make us cry. Looking into the face of one who loves us with such a profound love we will break. And we will come to the revelation what was I scared of? Why did I not come here earlier? What on earth was I doing? And that will be our judgment. The Father who loves us to a depth that we've never been loved and He says I long that you would come. I believe we need deep, deep healing in our whole understanding of God the Father. And it only comes through Jesus. Some of us are spending our lives trying to please Him. Look, Dad, look what I did. Look what I did. I'm doing this. And He goes, you poor kid. Why are you so busy? I love you. I'd actually like you to just stop doing so much and let me have a relationship with you. I haven't had a relationship with you for years. I mean, you talk about me, but you don't know me. You've got all the facts of where I live and who I am and how I sent Jesus and the cross. You've got all the facts, but you haven't had any of the relationship. And that's why you're so distraught and insecure and beaten down. 
Because you don't live in the embrace of the love of the Father. So your heart is hard or empty or half beating or half alive. See, Jesus, when he took what he, the Father gave him, used it to enrich others. The prodigal son used the wealth to squander on himself. The further away we go from the heart of the Father, the more we are at the centre. The more we play this game of God's given us me these blessings because I deserve them or I need 15 holidays a year or I need this and I need that and it's all about me and we spiritualise it. It's quite cute. And the Christian world in the West is very, I mean there are lots of books on it. But when you watch Jesus with the Father, it seems that that's not his priority. His priority is the compassion for people. Remember, uh, just before that reading in John 5, there's, there's a, in John 4, verse 43, there's a, an account of a, Jesus, is, is, he left for Galilee and uh, he actually had said that he, the prophet, he had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country because everybody said that's just Joseph's son and what can he do? He arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him and he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. That's actually, you can, you can look across the plain and see Nazareth and then there's, a, there's just a hill there now called Cana and probably, it's quite a, it'll be quite a, a, a trip by... Uh, by foot down, uh, down, down into the valley, down into the lower la- land where, where Galilee, the, the lake is. And Jesus had gone up there. And uh, this man came to him. He was a, a centurion whose son lay sick at Capernaum. So it was, it was a good day's journey, I would imagine. This man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea. He went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. That is what a father does. But what's different here, the father came to Jesus. And as Carol prayed, we need to be men and fathers who come to Jesus. We're way too self-sufficient. And one of the words I believe the Lord saying is, is, you don't come to me very much. You come to me when you've finished exerting all your strength. And we need to come to Jesus with our children. We need to come to Jesus with ourselves. We need to come to Jesus with everything. Say, Lord, heal me first. We need to not come to Jesus with our critical spirit that says, heal them, heal them, heal them, then my my life will be better. The best disciple is one who is discipled. The best leader is one who follows. You know the cliches. The best father is one who is fathered. And this centurion came, he was a man with great authority and he came to Jesus and said, I have no power and I have no authority over where my son is right now. But I love my son enough to humble myself and come and ask you, who really is like a peasant, to please have mercy and to heal my son. I think many of us are wounded, I think many of us are living in places God does not desire us to live because we're too proud. 
We're too proud to be public about our weakness. We're too proud to be public about our needs. We're too proud to come to Jesus in front of anybody. And so we stay sick. I really believe this is a word of God. It is, I love you but you will not come because you have too many conditions, you have too many issues and they're usually related around how you're going to look in front of everybody. And it's got to stop if you want to be the people that God wants you to be. And that is a word of love from a father who says, I can't dance with you unless you let me. We do not have the ability or the resources to father in our own strength. We can only father as Jesus loves us and fathers through us. And the words that we use in our culture that says it's private and it's personal, well the words of biblical speaking would be it's, it's called the language of the prince of darkness. It's called hiding. It's the place where evil dwells and sickness lurks and denial lives. And the prodigal son had to go through that whole experience of living off his own resources, living off his father's resources, squandering. It's interesting, and I'm saying this with no pointed reference whatsoever. When I drove over here this morning, there's a great you know, cruise demo in, uh, in Qualicum with all these beautiful cars, and I watched about ten of these shining cars dri- driven past me going out there with one man in each one. Father's Day, and I wondered what stories lay behind there. And the prodigal son had to come to a place of brokenness where he came back to his father and said, Dad, I am so sorry. And we all have to do that again and again and again. And what he got from his father was an incredible blessing. Because his father knew him. He knew when he gave him the money he was going to squander it. But he valued the relationship enough to say, well then squander it. You know how conditional we are with how we give away things? That, well, they better, keep, they better look after it. They better treat it well. And you can hear God the Father say, who are you to talk? And you grab and you take all I give you and you, don't, you waste it. And then you get all nitpicking on other people. Be generous. So, this is exciting. This is really encouraging, isn't it? I mean, encouragement is really this. I mean, this is the bottom line. The encouragement is this. If you want a loving father, then let him love you. It's very simple. That's what I'm saying this morning. And if you want to be a spoiled brat, then God the Father isn't into that. If you think he's going to do everything for you, it's not going to happen. And I'm speaking from years of experience. And I'm going to, we're going to see it now, the healing at the pool of Bethesda. This man is lying there. How many times have you heard this story? The man's lying there. If you go through Jerusalem, old Jerusalem, you can look down. It's about, must be 50 feet below the street level now. And you can see the five columns or the, the ruins of the five columns where this pool of Bethesda was. And this man is lying there. He's surrounded by people who are paralyzed, blind, and obviously invalids. Could be any church. And what does he say? Jesus comes to him and he says, 
and he, he looks and he says, what does he say to him? Jesus said something else because this man had been there and he was paralyzed and invalid for 38 years. And Jesus saw him and learned that he had been in this condition. Didn't have a word of knowledge, he just asked. And he says to him the surprising thing of, do you want to get well? How many of us might have said that? Oh, shame. Shame. I'm speaking uh, quite directly this morning. I think the church is like that pool where most of our ministry is enabling the sick, lame and blind to make it through. It's called compassion or unbelief. And he said, I'm waiting for the water to stir because there was a spring underneath there and they would, every now and again it would bubble up and they believed the presence of God came and the water stirred and then the first person in would be healed. Now John is writing from his island of Patmos as an old man. He's had a lot, many, many years to reflect on this. He knows Matthew, Mark and Luke exist as writings. When John talks, he's talking in meanings. He's not interested in history so much as interpreting why Jesus did things. So there's lots of layers of symbolism in John. It's a wonderful, wonderful gospel because there's so many levels. When John talks about water, he's talking about the Spirit. It symbolizes the Spirit. And what's he saying? He's saying, I think, that these people were lying around this pool and it's like the Old Testament. God works in a few people and he'll do a few things and a few people will be healed and he uses prophets and it's all a few people and maybe if you're lucky you get somewhere. And of course this man was saying, nobody will help me. For 38 years I couldn't find somebody to help me. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? And he listens to the excuses and then he says to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. There's a new covenant. It's a new day. It's a new uh, reaching out of the Father. The Father now comes to the invalid right next to the pool. says, you don't have to get into the pool. I come to you. It is not the old covenant, it is the new covenant. Do you want to get better? It's not dependent on your performance. It's not dependent on other people helping you. It's not dependent on anything other than your response to my question. Because I, Jesus, now come to you. I stand right before you and I say, do you want to get well? And I believe that's the word of God for each one of us this morning. On Father's Day, do you want to get well? I've counseled enough people, I know my own life, where there's a lot of benefits from not getting well. Because it provides me with an alibi and an excuse for the rest of my life about why I don't have to take responsibility, why I don't have to risk, and why other people can feel sorry for me because of my situation. Personally, I'm done with that. In the sense of, nobody can live our lives for us. 
And I don't believe Jesus hangs around saying, I'll wait and wait and wait. He does in one sense. In another sense, if you want to dance with me, if you want to live with me, then respond to me. Will I get physically healed? I don't know. But what Jesus promises is if you want to get well, I will change you in some way that will make this not a pool of invalids, but a pool of blessing. Like Joni Erickson Tada, who is paralyzed quadriplegic and is a blessing that has been used by God because she's not defeated or overcome by her physical condition. God transformed her heart. That's America. I don't know how she does it. I don't know how people do that. But God does. And I don't know why He doesn't just heal them. But what He does promise is that I will, because I am your Father, I will change significantly something within you that will make you rise up and celebrate who you are irrespective of your circumstances. And that's a pretty cool promise. Why I'm rising up in passion is because I actually think that there are a whole church here full of warriors and I think we spend a lot of time around the pool. And I think we spend a lot of time making excuses. And we could go around the room and every one of us will be convicted of this. Quit the excuses and come to Jesus and say, Lord, this is where I am and I would like this resolved. And some of you, this is another word, I I know it is, have been sitting with stuff for 38 years or more and God says, how long do you want to sit there with that? And half of our ministry is about how can I help you learn to live with it? Rather than how can we walk into freedom? But walking into freedom means you might have to fall down. Walking into freedom means you might have to be embarrassed. Walking into freedom might mean you have to tell others that there are things that aren't right. Walking into freedom might mean you have to confess publicly that you are a jar of clay. Big deal. We know it anyway. We're never going to be anything else other than jars of clay. And the love of the Father says, My children, I am here for you. It's not the old covenant, it's the new. Take up your mat and walk. And I haven't got a clue how this all works. It really irritated me because I stood up here publicly two weeks ago and I ranted and raved about the outpouring of the Spirit in Florida and said I can't stand what I see there and quite frankly it really confuses me and it still does. But I listened to a talk by Nicky Gumbel, that sort of guy who's so respectable and the Alpha King and had a wonderful, you know, wonderfully English and I really loved them and I mean that seriously. And he, I listened to a talk he gave in Holy Trinity Brompton last Sunday night and uh, he mentions this outpouring and says, well, God might be working there and I'm not going to judge that and that's cool. But then he has somebody come up from his church who's been there for ten days and all of these English girls are called posh or, or, or vi- I mean, they're all funny names. You know, um, <laughs> and, uh, they, and she, she says, well, I, I went and I went there for ten days and I was deaf in my one ear for 40, for 40 years and I was healed. The presence of God was present and came upon me and I was healed. And then she made this comment which really struck me. She said, you know, 
Abraham is no longer here and Isaac is no longer here and uh, Joseph is no longer here and David is no longer here and Peter is no longer here and Paul is no longer here. The Holy Spirit is being poured out and you're it. The Spirit of God lives in you and he's calling you to be the Davids and the, the people that we read about. I guess that's why Jesus comes and says, respond to my love, get up and walk. Because there's work to do. There are others who need to know my love. And you will be loved and you will be healed as you give away what you have. And as you allow yourself to be humbled by the Spirit of God. You know, as I close, what's the most um, delightful age of children? I don't know whether you want to answer that, but I think one of the most delightful ages of children is when they believe that their parents can do no wrong. When they believe that fathers and mothers are angelic. When they believe that truth pours out of them and that love pours out of them and that nobody in the world could ever do anything to disappoint them. It's the innocence of children for their parents. There's a wonderful, wonderful time. Sometimes lasts long, sometimes never gets there. But I believe one of the things the Lord might be saying to us is, do you want to rediscover that? Do you want to rediscover that relationship within me and within yourself where you have a confidence in me like a little child? That you trust me more than you trust yourself. That you don't come pleading to me day after day after day for things, but you walk in the love and the grace that is my gift to you. And you're confident in that and you celebrate that. And you live in that. I am loved and I am safe and I am secure and God the Father is going to use me and my life is going to have a meaning because He wants work in me and I'm going to allow Him to train me and discipline me and, and nurture me and do all the other stuff through other human beings. Because from this day I'm going to believe that God isn't going to work with me privately. He's going to work with me incarnationally, relationally with people. Because I need humility. I need other people. And they need me. So Jesus comes to you, wherever you are, around that pool, whatever your affliction is, you'll know exactly what it is. It's got no, there's nothing accusing in it whatsoever. It's merely going, do you want to get well? And for some of us it might go back a long way. For some of us it might be, I'm not going to even name things. But Jesus is great enough to bring healing or freedom to anything at all in our lives. We're going to sing a song that's really going to be a prayer. And you can uh, listen to it and then enter into it. Maybe we'll sing it once through or twice through on our, you know, just the, the music group. And then uh, we can stand and sing it together. But this is not, this is about saying, Lord, here I am. I'm not talking to you, I'm not encouraging you to um, have it all together. All I'm encouraging is wherever it is that I say, Lord, it might be I don't even believe in you. I mean, it can be anywhere. 
You know, when you go into those big maps on the supermarkets and say, you are here, that's where we're talking about. You are here. This is where we are. I am here. And Jesus looks down and says, oh, there he is. But you know what? It's beeping. He's actually saying, I'm here. I want to be found. Because he will only do that when we wave, when we activate. Because you have free will. So he won't, he won't look for you if you don't want to be found. But if you want to be found, if you want to be healed, if you want some progress, oh, John's beeping. Dad, let's go. Send the angels in. Right, Jean. There we go. Let's sing a song. <laughs>